Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, episode 13. Today, I'm sitting down with the Sherry Salata. Sherry is the co-creator of The Pillar Life, author of The Beautiful No, and former co-president of Harpo Studios and the Oprah Winfrey Network. She was also the executive producer of The Oprah Winfrey Show. While her list of accolades is long, Sherry tends to define herself by the simple title that has most defined her life, Storyteller. Today, we get to hear Sherry's story firsthand, from her days with Oprah through the personal reckoning that became the inspiration for her book and what her life looks like now. In her book and in this interview, Sherry gracefully grapples with issues like honoring your body, knowing when it's time to explore your own passions, and bravely embracing a wholehearted life. And just a fair warning, by the end of the episode, I'm so moved by Sherry's wisdom and willingness to be on the show that I kind of lose my cool and sound like a blubbering idiot. I've admired Sherry for nearly a decade. I'm just so impressed by who she is and what she shares. It really was a dream come true experience getting to talk to her. Keep listening to hear more from Sherry. Welcome to the Zimmerman Podcast with your host, CEO, wedding professional, educator, and mom, Jessica Zimmerman. In just two years, Jessica went from facing bankruptcy to taking home a six-figure salary. She turned a business-saving $100,000 loan into a million-dollar empire. As a creative entrepreneur, a healthy work-life balance seems just as unattainable as a six-figure income. But Jessica Zimmerman is here to show you it's possible. With the right tools and insider tips and some hard work, your craziest dreams can become your daily routine. If you set some boundaries and commit to healthy changes, you can create a business and a life you love. So let's make your business work for you. Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. I read your book, A Beautiful No, in one day. It's the second book ever that I've read cover to cover in one sitting. Oh, <laughs> we, my gosh. We're going to dive into the book, and you'll all hear just how much I connected with it. But I want to start, Sherry, with you as a producer. There are so many different titles, field producer, coordinating producer, executive producer. For those that don't know, what is a producer? Well, I'll tell you what I think a producer is. And and depending on, you're exactly right, what your role is and different shows have, you know, different um, definitions. But basically a producer is, is the person in on a show or for a, a, a film or for a video series or a podcast, let's say, that is responsible for making sure everything comes together and gets executed. And so in some producer positions, it's super creative. You're also dreaming it up and, and, and executing. And some, the, the creative work's been done and, and you're in execution mode. Got it. So I watched season 25 behind the scenes in 2011. Oh, oh my gosh. I had been a fan of the Oprah show for basically my whole life. And I'd gotten to see hundreds of Oprah shows throughout the years. And I knew it wasn't just one woman pulling that off every week. So I enjoyed the behind the scenes series. Honestly, as much as I did the Oprah show itself, I was in awe of how much work went into each show, not just the work, but the thought, the intention, the details, the love. It was really obvious that everyone working there set a high bar for themselves. 
themselves and really worked from a place of excellence. I know Oprah said many times on that series that she didn't worry about things being pulled off because of the amazing team she had. And you were the head of that team. (laughs) Were you ever worried or did you have such an amazing team that you two knew things would always come together? Well, I was the executive producer for the last five years of the show. And and Oprah's right that the, the team, most of the people at the show had been there for 20 years. Um, it was it was a very tight team and, and very experienced producers. But th- there's no question when I was executive producer, I lost a lot of sleep because the the shows had gotten so intricate and so huge um, that it, it was we, we were pulling off a miracle every day. And is it true that you just had a twenty four hour turnaround time? Yeah, I mean, what we would do is we would uh, tape six shows a week and uh, three days a week. So we would do two shows: Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And when, when I was a promo producer in, in my entry level job, we would turn those promos around overnight pretty much. But, um, it, it was in, and then when we did live shows, then all bets were off. Then it was just, everything had to come together in, in, in perfect timing. And as executive producer, what were your specific roles? So the executive producer is basically the lead shepherd. So I, I report directly to Oprah and um, gather the team together. We would pitch Oprah show ideas. Um, and then I would work with the teams, the producers and the supervising producers to begin to schedule things, craft the show, um, work on approvals for making sure the show was coming together with intention and, and, and in the way that Oprah had suggested. And then the producers would go back with their teams of associate producers and production assistants, and they would put it together. And at the, the, the nuts and bolts of doing a show was really done by the show producers. And then next thing you know, a script would come. I would review the script, and in we would go to the control room the next day and uh, tape the show. Wow. That's fascinating. I love that. So you were the executive producer for the final five years. Yeah. And you talk about in the book how Oprah brought you into her office and she said, I want you to do this because you know my heart. Oh, like, yeah. You have, to be a, you have to be a pretty great person, Sherry. <laughs> oh. I mean, for people, I love that for, pe- like, for people to say, I mean, that is a, a connection, a sense of intimacy that I don't think people feel that often with other people. Like you get it. You know my heart. What was that moment like when, when here it is, it's the final five years and she says, you know my heart. So yeah, I want you to you're going to run it. Well, yeah, it was, it was terrifying. Uh, the truth be told, it was terrifying because um, it's a big job. And it had been done really well by the previous executive producers over the years, and there'd only been a handful. And so it's, it's, it's ginormous. And by then, uh, you know, of course, still number one um, in daytime, a huge worldwide audience and and the shows were big. Um, It was like, uh, they were like primetime specials every day. So um, I, I, me- I remember feeling very terrified, very shocked, um, very shocked that Oprah was choosing me to, to take the lead. And, um, and that's when I asked her to write down on a piece of paper, why, why me? 
Mm. And and when I read it, I, I I held on I held that paper in my sweaty hands for quite a while, and then ultimately I framed it and put it on my desk so I could remind myself every day what my real job was. My real job was to stay connected to a heart space. That's really neat. Yeah. So then y'all were transitioning from the Oprah Winfrey Show to Own Network. Did you know? you would immediately transition into that role once season 25 was over? No, no, I didn't. Um, I think Oprah made the decision after the show was over. I might have the timing kind of wrong about that because that that last month was a blur um, because we were getting ready for the big United Center shows, the big finale, and we were still doing shows, regular shows every, every day. Um but I, I remember then uh, there there came a moment when um, she my my I, I was also by then co president of Harpo Studios and she came to Eric Logan and I we were uh, co presidents together and asked us if we would also in addition to our duties take over at OWN. That was during the final month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so here you are yeah. thinking there's a finish line happening. And yeah. Yeah. Not so much. Yeah. No, there wasn't. There wasn't a lot of time to rest, and um, you know, and th- and that was a big deal, you know, to have a network with your name on it, and um, you know, Oprah hadn't had a lot of time to spend on it because she was finishing up, you know, the the fabled Oprah show. So, right. so yeah, there we had lots to do. It was like take a breath and let's get going. Let's keep going. You share in your book, The Beautiful No, about the day you stood before the entire OWN staff and spoke for the last time as co-president. You write, Today I am leaving OWN to make a dream I have had for a long time come true, to open a company of my own. What lights me up is storytelling, producing. That is where my heart is. Oprah, you put the world at my feet and opened the door to a spiritual life that makes this moment possible. Being with you day in, day out these years has been one big super soul session. And to all of you, my colleagues from the beginning and those newer to the staff, thank you for being part of my wonderful life. What a beautiful exit, Sherry. Do you think Oprah or anyone on the team knew that you were ready to leave? Was it an ongoing conversation or was it a shock to everyone? Oh, I mean, I I think the the team themselves were were surprised. Um, Oprah certainly wasn't. And, um, you know, there's, you know, everything that needed to be done, at least from my perspective and in the gifts that I I came to bring had been done and it was time. Mm. And, and when it's time, it's time. Yeah, absolutely. When something when something has come to an end, it's come to an end, and then it, then the thing to do is kind of, you know, take stock. Yes, and and really think about, um, you know, I I knew I wanted to have my own company someday, and um, and what I would do, like you know, I put myself in a position where I could become an entrepreneur, and I was I was meeting all you young kids, and <laughs> and people who were you know literally creating the lives of their dreams and the companies of their dreams and working for themselves. And I was like, gosh, that looks like freedom. That looks good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and th- th- those became the next pa- steps of passion and discovery and innovation and creativity for me. Did you feel like you stayed longer than you wanted to because you were so needed and valued? To me, people not always, but usually fit into two groups, people who want to be 
the supporting role, right? The woman behind the woman and people who want to be the face and the voice of a project. But sometimes people like you shift from one group to another. How do you know who you really are and what you really want? I spent, oh, let's see, 21 to 56. So I spent that many years, 30 something years, uh, always working for other people. And, and even having the job, the career of anybody's dreams, working for the, one of the most famous women on the planet. So yes, the truth is, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that there's, it's not the same as being the one, but being, you know, the ones in the, in the team supporting brands and people, uh, you know, in big companies that can be very fulfilling, very, very fulfilling. And you can really grow and learn so much at those big brands. So I think that is, that is truly, truly amazing. Um, you know, if you have a look and, and, and here's the great thing, you get a check every two weeks, <laughs> right? <laughs> You know, you, you, you don't have to come up with the investment money mm -hmm. to, ex to expand. I mean, there's in, in a lot of ways you're cared for and you don't have to worry about all the things an entrepreneur has to worry about. Right. And, and so here's what I say. It's kind of like, what's your personality? I, I was not, did not have that entrepreneurial thing in, in my younger years. I, I needed structure. I needed to have to report for duty. I, I needed that, um, that, that sense of security. So now to be able to experience a whole nother thing where I've had all this training from these amazing brands, and now I get to take that training and put it in service to myself, you know, and then all of a sudden you're not the person behind the person anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, now you're the person and now it's kind of like you got, you've got to grow yourself enough to fill that new role where you can step forward and stand in, in, in the light. Yes. I think there can be a lot of confusion about what people really want to be doing and what their roles are in their own businesses. But I love that you shared that. No one role is better than another. Oh, so good. On page six, you write, I don't blame my work for a moment because it really was exactly what I wanted to do. It just so happened that for me, doing it well required a single-minded focus that left little time for anything else. Sherry, when did you realize that your work was the perfect excuse not to deal with any area of your life that didn't come quite so easily to you? Well, you know that feeling when you when you say you don't know, but you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 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 kind of how I spent a, a lion's share of those years. I knew, but I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, but I knew. And, and, and finally, um, and, and I, and I honestly, I had all the information, you know, who, who had a better seat than, than me at the table of all the experts in health and wellness and spirituality and happiness and meditation and yoga and, and all those things that we can put like guardrails in our lives to, to keep us on that most joyful path. And, and managing stress appropriately and, and making sure checking in, am I going in the direction I want? Am I happy? Um, instead, um, you know, a couple things were going on for me. Number one, I was good at it and I got a lot of validation for it. So, um, 
that's where you tend to lean. We're all leaning toward the sun. And, and, and in, in the areas of my life that were more challenging, like um, managing my weight was super challenging for me because I usually, I was a stress eater. I was also a smoker back in the day. So I had all, those were my stress reducing tools. And, and I also, I, I found romantic relationships really challenging. And so because I was, um, you know, very much an achiever, I would lean toward where I got a lot of validation and where I was good. And then I dip my toes in the other waters and be like, yeah, you're still not so good at that. Okay. But you're really good here and you're getting lots of validation. And then it probably was not until I stepped completely away from all of it and really took a look at what is going on with you when you have all the information, but basically, um, you are practicing none of it. And, and Literally, I said to myself, you've manifested the career of your dreams, but not the life of your dreams. What's going on, Sherry? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I kind of, what I, what I saw was that it was all rooted in this, this dysfunctional belief I was holding that um, achievement meant worthiness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and worthiness meant worthy of love. So, so somehow I got confused. I didn't realize, um, and, and realize I'm not talking about intellectually, cause of course I knew, but I'm talking about in, in a full body bone deep way that for me, achievement was, was t- directly tied to worthiness and being lovable. And, and so that's kind of, that's the, the carrot I kept running after. And for a long, long time, it was enough because that this carrot was so damn big and so delicious and so good and so energizing and so expansive and so validating, you know, I mean, game over. Right. You know, you, you have a big job with Oprah, game over. You're right. done. You don't really have to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a natural feeling though, too, that I think many people can relate to is just going where you feel validated. Yeah. And obviously and, and, and spend more time where you feel right. Where you feel validated. Right. And and the and the and the check on that, that I the epiphany I've had about that is where you want to go is you want to go in the direction of happiness. You want to stop seeking validation outside yourself and you want to go in the direction of happiness. You want what you think to be the, the highest level of opinion, the, the, that, that's the love you seek at, at the end of the day. Jessica's always teaching that your time is valuable. So is hers. So to make this podcast possible, we have sponsors. Here's a quick message about something Jessica loves. When I first started my business, I didn't have the money to pay myself, let alone pay a photographer to take pictures of my work. But let's be honest, the world we live in is so visual that if you don't have good photos, it's almost impossible to connect to clients. To save money, I would photograph my work with my phone and then spend hours editing to give them that bright professional look. I still like saving money, but more than that, I like saving time. 
That's why I've created my signature mobile presets to bright, clean, professional photos every time. For the first time ever, these presets are available to you. Whether you're wanting to post professional quality photos of your personal life or your work without shelling out thousands of dollars for a photo shoot, these presets are perfect for you. I use my presets all the time to spruce up pictures of me with my kids, my travel adventures, or to share what's new in my business. Go check out my Instagram account at Jessica Zimmerman underscore. You'll see professional photos and my own edited iPhone pictures, both bright and clean. It's hard to tell the difference. To see the presets in action, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash presets and get yours today. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash P-R-E-S-E-T-S. Hey, are you loving this episode? If you've been listening thinking, oh gosh, I'm so glad I found this. This is exactly what I've been needing. Then I need you to do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it on your social media. I can't reach more listeners like you without your help. And these early days and weeks of the podcast are absolutely crucial to building the listener base we need so that we can keep producing content that is free to you and answers all your biggest business questions. So share this episode, tag me at Jessica Zimmerman underscore, and then get right back to listening. I know we're probably halfway done with this episode and I'm only on page seven because that is how good this book is. Um, Sherry, I thought what you wrote on page seven was was really eye-opening. You say, 56, when I say it out loud, it sounds older than I picture myself in my mind, a lot older, and it looks different on everyone I notice. I'm not talking about gray hairs or wrinkles. When I glance around at women in my age range, I can see so clearly how we are each telling such different stories about what's possible for ourselves. And then you go on to say, all around us, the message is the same. You're done. Put on your stretchy pants and lace up your comfortable shoes. Get a short, sensible wash and wear hairdo and let the clock run out on your life while you wait for a chance to be useful to someone. And then you say, am I done now? Is what I have right now in my life all I get? Here's the thing. I don't feel done. Can you share with us the epiphany you had at that moment and how, unlike all these other women who have basically put themselves on a shelf waiting for their expiration date, how you were able to take a different path? Right. Well, that 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 could could be me because you know, I've come to see that we're, we're raised by the two previous generations of women behind us. So um, the, the, the young women in their 20s are going to have a different set of issues, but they, they might not be the kind of issues that I had, which is, um, you know, I sat there and watched and it looked like once women hit like 50, it was, it was they, they were going to start to disintegrate. You know, it wasn't about them. They, they, you know, it isn't about their dreams. You know, they weren't continuing to build on glory days. It was just kind of like, you know, you're holding on, um, you know, un, un, until the sands in the, in the hourglass run out. And so particularly for me. So, and, and, and I also had, um, one of my dearest friends, Nancy Halla, who had a different life than me. She had kids, divorced mom, raised two amazing kids, and her career wasn't all consuming like mine was. And, but, but we had similar things, which is, gosh, there's a lot that I've done 
I've created amazing and manifested amazing things. But I kind of feel like I might have another 40 years left. Mm -hmm. So am I always going to be talking about the glory days as if they're in the past? Or am I going to like reset, reimagine, re-envision this whole thing about growing older and think about what are the glorious days that I'm about to create? Yes. And on page 10, you say the real question is, are we brave enough to want our heart's desires? Are we daring and le- are we daring enough to believe that we can have, be, or do what we want? Are we? Am I? It takes courage to choose to dream rather than simply to continue down the same path. Tell yeah. me about gathering that courage. Well, um, I would say that it was less... I can see that it's about courage for millions and millions of women. It was less about courage for me. It was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I just had to check in with myself that number one, do I believe that it's never too late to live the life of your dreams? Capital L. Yes. I believe it's never too late. And then I said to myself, well, if not now, when, if not now, when, and if not now, maybe never. So what is, so get to figuring out what is the life of your dreams in every area mm. and, and, and let's start doing some daydreaming. Let's get that pot stirred. Let's start figuring out how you're going to call it in. Right. And, um, one of the biggest changes for me is, and, and this is, this would have been really good information 20 years ago, which is. I am a beer, not a doer anymore. Mm. I, I, I'm done with those Santa Claus, North Pole to Chicago kind of uh, lists of yes. to-dos. Yes. I, I'm done with that. And I want to spend my days being. And I want to stop that, uh, that, that false story that I would tell myself that I need to push all the boulders uphill instead of really using those spiritual tools that I've been developing ever since I walked that first day into Harpo Studios and the Oprah show. And let me, let me call down the thunder for myself. Mm -hmm. Let me co-create with the force capital F and let me magnetize and draw amazing everything I want right to my door, because that is, is what's possible when we tend to our vibrational uh, life. Mm-hmm. It seems like the entire world got to enjoy the Oprah show, the efforts of all your hard work. Were you ever able to actually enjoy a show or were you just too in it? Oh, I mean, uh, well, here's for me too. A show was a, um, um, a multi-day week experience in that it started with the idea, the producing kind of unfolded. I would see scripts for some of the tape pieces in the show, and then there'd be the actual taping, then there'd be post-production. So there was plenty of time, you know, Oprah would talk to the audience about the show after the show. So each show was kind of an experience, but, um, yeah, I mean, and you when you're in the actual taping, it was, you know, 100% focus on that moment. But through the course of producing a show and getting ready for the taping, there'd be plenty of time to like jot a note, jot a thought. Um I remember uh one of the producers that that worked for me, um 
I saw her years later and she's like, yeah, we were all there, but you took notes because I loved it so much. I just loved the conversation so much. I loved the conversations that I thought mattered, the things that were like opening my, it was like a whole new language um, that I, I could begin to feel my spirituality as opposed to just be in search of it constantly. Like, what's the connection? What am I supposed to feel? What's it, what's this mean? Why, why don't I feel anything about it? And then, you know, as, as I continued to, it's almost like going from kindergarten, you know, to, 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 to your PhD, every new author or wisdom keeper would be like a new level. And I, there'd be a new concept I could roll around inside my psyche and kind of try on for size. And then someone else would come in with another thought. And by the time we were talking quantum, when we were talking about like literally the mystical web that connects physical and non-physical and, and the, the quantum power of our lives, that power that we can hook up, up to, then it's like, you know, no holds barred. Then, then you're just, you're just charging your way up. But I've come to think that's why there's so many different languages and so many different teachers, because we're ready for the next step at different times. Yes. And you say how during this reckoning, you, there were, you were, there were moments where you had shame and contempt. And when you would finish with your reckoning, you would feel sick at your heart and unbearably sad. And then you would have regret. And then you say, the bottom line is this, I have been an untrustworthy steward of my own well-being. And that's when I can feel rock bottom under my feet. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously having that front row seat did something because you were able to shift from, and I won't read the whole chapter, like I said, but (laughs) you were able to take that shift from shame to tenderness. And I love how you started to treat yourself like a friend and how in the end it wasn't about self-judgment, but hope. How did you make that shift? Well, I knew, you know, the, the reckoning is an opportunity for you to, 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 to do some serious stock taking and really kind of find out where are you creating from? Where are you creating from? Like just getting to the yummy dream stuff, kind of you need to know where, where you're starting from. And I, I, I totally knew that I had put myself in, into an, an unconscious space about a lot of things. So I had to go through a reckoning process. And if I took that normal voice in my head, that that mean, critical, um, uh, destructive voice and applied that to my own reckoning, I didn't, I wouldn't survive it. You know, it'd be too harsh. Uh, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to get through it. And so I thought to myself, you know, what is the tone and tenor of this experience you're about to have with yourself, this reckoning experience? And I decided that it would be the tenderest tone that I could um, summon from within the depths of my own soul. It would be the voice I I spoke to my English bulldogs with. Hello, my beloved. Mm. You know, Mm. that I would speak to a a baby in a grocery store with. It would be the tenderest voice that I would use with a friend who was hurting and, and needed compassion. And then it was, it was, an experience 
Um, certainly painful, but not impossible. And by the end of it, I felt free. And I was ready then to say, okay, what are my new dreams for my life? Mm -hmm. That's incredible because I think that so many times we don't always speak so kindly to ourselves. We are, you know, our nastiest version of ourselves comes out. Well, we were, we don't even realize we're doing it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. we're, we're so familiar. We're so accustomed rather to living with that, that very harsh narrator that it just feels like life. Which goes hand in hand with spirituality and energy and what we, what we put out is what we get back. And so you were so smart and wise to be able to know, like, I've got to speak to myself well during this time. Yes. If I'm going to get anything out of this. Yes. Did the entire reckoning happen through journaling? No, it wasn't really that. It was, it was, I mean, I had, I had paper, you know, I, I wanted to like kind of lay out the, the various areas of my life and, and really start thinking about it. It was more of an internal process. It was a more of like, okay, let's move on to this area and let's think about it. Let's right. think about, let's think about our hits and misses and let's think about, you know, where, where are the, where are the gaping holes? Where have we done well? And by doing well, not achievement, but where have we served our own hearts? Where have we manifested those things we, we, we really wanted? So it was, it was more of a process like that, but I would say this there, you know, the reckoning. I get asked I get asked about the reckoning a lot cuz people you know that they feel like that's something they could try and 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 I'd say at at the end of the day you're going to have to create your own experience that's going to work mm-hmm. for you and it's maybe a cup of tea five mornings in a row uh or it's a weekend that you 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 go away alone and you kind of give yourself you know some timed writing about you know each of the i i say there's eight areas of my life that matter to me um i call it the pillar life and 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 those are the areas I focus on, but you, you figure out what those areas are that matter to you. It's kind of like, this is, this is, you know, my ultimate learning post Oprah show. What we're supposed to be are the gurus of our own lives, mm-hmm. are the coaches with the capital C of our own lives, that there is no expert out there that has a suit of clothes for you to put on that's going to make your life better. You are the manager. You are the one who's been entrusted with this sacred human experience. You can pick and choose like you're at a delicious buffet of what the wisest people on the planet have to offer, but you're going to have to mix up the recipe and and it's going to be your own recipe. It's like people who, after reading Eat, Pray, Love, went to Italy and India and Bali, and then they didn't have this same <laughs> amazing outcome. It's like, well, of course you didn't, because that wasn't your story. Like That's right. not how you were supposed to do it. Right. <laughs> and so you have to oh, listen, do it your I'm own so life. sympathetic to that. I mean, I read that book, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. I'm like, oh, that's going to be the answer. And you know, I've had the good fortune to get to know Liz Gilbert. And when you meet her, it's like, oh gosh, she, she, she's otherworldly. Of course that would be her path, but, yes. but you know, there are themes to draw from there, you know, yes, absolutely. there's themes to draw that, that, and, and, and really thinking about what is your road 
to the joy ride. What if you don't feel like you're on a joy ride and you feel like you have to do some 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 reconstruction, then make coming up with your plan to to discover, to excavate what is what are your newest dreams for your life. Make it part of the fun. Right. And part of I think the similarity because I agree, I read that book. That was the other book that I've read cover to cover. <laughs> but the similarities are, is the, you know, taking the time to be by yourself and to ask these hard questions and to listen and to really understand that they're important. Would you describe your life as a joy ride? When is the last time you took 10 minutes out of your day to ask yourself what you really want? Have you ever done that? This is something I do every single year, and I'd like to share it with you. I'm hosting the Finish Strong Challenge, a free online mini coaching series where I teach you my tried and true system for making every year the best year yet. Whether you're listening to this in December or anytime after, this challenge will help you restart your year, your week, or your day. You don't have to wait until the new year rolls around to define the life you want. I can help you do that right now. To sign up for the challenge, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash finish strong. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash finish strong. When did you know that your reckoning would ultimately become a book? Um, I don't know if I knew that. What happened was um, I had been working with for a long time, um, several, several years, um, and had done a stadium tour with one of the top literary agents in in the world, in the country, and, and she ended up becoming a friend. And she had introduced me to a fantastic publisher, Karen Rinaldi, who had an imprint at HarperCollins. And we ended up having a really interesting conversation. And um, then I went, uh, they, they made me an offer. And then I went to the drawing board and began a, what was ultimately a two-year process, figuring out what is the story I want to tell. And of course, I knew it would be something around this middle of life revisioning, this this reimagining your life, um, because that's the thing I'm most excited about. So, so the reckoning would end up becoming one of the tales, one of the tales in the book. So, for about four years, is the journey that I really went on with my husband's illness and and the babies, and then you know building this this business and everything. And I knew halfway through it, that it would be a book. And that book comes out in April, which is crazy. Oh like gosh. I can't, there were, That's amazing. there were things that, thank you. There were things that you wrote about. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, that's, I mean, I just related to it because I wrote my book in six days because I had to just get it out because I thought if I think too much about it, or if I, think that anyone else in the world's going to read it. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to write it. You know, I just have to get it out on virtual paper. And uh and now it's to the editor, which is crazy, but it's it's just it is it is you have to be so vulnerable to write these things. And so I but I love that you did because 
it's so, it's so, I just connected to so much of it. I know so many people did. Um, On page 37, you write, I need time with no phone calls, no wall-to-wall meetings, no underlying sense of guilt for not being on duty and at the ready. I need a piece I haven't allowed myself for years. Were you nervous at all about the empty time? No, (laughs) no, 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 not, not one bit. I mean, I, I needed, I needed a break. I need, I need, I had been going, um, a hundred miles an hour for a really long time. Um, I had spent five years going back and forth every other week between Chicago and Los Angeles. So I, I was in desperate need of a break. What did it feel like to no longer have the demands of that schedule? It was an amazing experience to sit in the middle of that emptiness that mm-hmm. it was like, whoa, there's this whole other life going on on out here with comings and goings and doings and happenings. And um, it was it was very, I mean, I'm past it now because now I live that life. But um, right. initially it was like being a Martian and, and, yeah. and, and coming into daily life for the first time. And and extraordinary and beautiful and um, very very it, it touches me still when I think about it. It's such a treat to get to sit down with a master storyteller like Sherry, especially as I'm writing my own book, Sleeping with a Stranger. In early fall 2019, I sat down and wrote my first draft in six days. The story just poured out of me. Coming April 2020, you'll get to read my untold story. I've shared my business failures and lessons learned time and time again, but I've never shared my personal story before. To be the first to hear any book updates, go to sleepingwithastranger.com. That's sleepingwithastranger.com. You go to Desert Hot Springs for an eight-day fast. Will you share about the first night fire ceremony that really set the stage for the beginning of your transformation? Yeah, I mean, it was really uh, uh, the fire ceremony was was with with Shaman Mari, who who's a shaman that um, is at We Care, and uh, that's in in Desert Hot Springs, and she does a, an opening night ritual where with these um, this amazing experience of of letting go. Like what, what are the things you need to let go of while you're in the desert? And it's, it's, you know, there's, there's chanting and sage and lavenders being burned. And, you know, you're in the middle of this gigantic desert and the stars are in the sky and it really is, it's very powerful. And it's something that I've brought back into my own life, which is whenever I start feeling kind of like emotionally or energetically clogged and 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 here are the telltale signs for me like all of a sudden I'll, I'll i'll find myself in a state of overwhelm too much to do not enough time to do it or i'll find myself kind of crabby like where where my mood has gotten away from me and i'm just kind of crabby and kind of dour and then i know there is a bunch of things that I've accumulated that I need to let go of. And so sometimes I'll jot it down real quickly on paper and just crumple it up and toss it um, in my shred pile. Or, you know, I'll just sit for a second and say, there's nothing here that I have to hold on to. There's Mm. nothing here that's more important than my breath. 
mm-hmm. and just kind of coach myself and remind myself that I have learned for my own self that part of my recipe is vibrationally traveling very, very light mm. and not carrying resentments with me, not carrying old suitcases of regrets and resentments with me. It's like, handle it, move on. Yes. Handle it, let go, transcend, move on. Mm. I, I thought that that ceremony, is, and I think we can think about doing that and there's one thing to physically do it and there's one thing to actually be able to let it go. And I love your, how you wrote about that. And you just said visually it it was very helpful. And then you thought, okay, now what do I do? Like, where do I go from here? And on page 50, you say, I've decided to take my producer skills and enlist them in service to my own happiness. Oh, I love this so much to create my own recipe and then tweak it regularly. A pinch of this, a pinch of that more of what feels good, less of what doesn't in all areas, food, workout, spirituality, friends, family, love, creativity, all of it. And the big key I realize will be setting down the false sense that I have to hold the world up with my two bare hands. I am in charge of nothing and no one but myself. That is where my power lies. Yeah. So I visualized this entire process you'd been through up into this point in the book, um, like a house that you had built. And the reckoning was you basically taking a wrecking ball to the beautiful home that you had worked so hard and you had built and just destroying it until there was nothing left. And then at this point, you're ready to build a brand new foundation, one that was only going to work for you. No one else was going to pour it. Like you had to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, you know, there are different areas of my life. I'm, I keep waiting for the expert to come in, the profession, the doctor to come in and make me healthier or, you know, the accountant to come in and make me more responsible, the man to come in and make me for, feel more worthy of love. And, you know, the, through, through these, you know, this absolute you know, soul deep um, reckoning, you know, what I could see is, oh, it's great news that it's me. It's great news that I'm the one because now I never have to look outside myself again for those things. Can you share with us about your friend, Nancy, and the role that she played in your life at this specific time and describe what it feels like to have a safe place in a person, a friend like Nancy? And how do you how do you keep that relationship with Nancy? Nancy Hala has been one of my dearest friends for about 30 years. Uh, she and I have a podcast together now called The Sherry and Nancy Show, which is hilarious. And and we talk, we have this very same conversation that you and I are having right now, Jessica. And what she and I realized was, this was, this was our big turn, was we decided we wanted to have an intentional friendship that our friendship and and we also launched a company together what am i even saying and and so yes the pillar yeah, life so the pillar life.com that's right and what we decided that we would do is we were going to support each other in living the lives of our dreams and that the old the old way of relating and bonding like like millions of women um which would be complaining or let me who had the worst week or you know who um who has the biggest problems or and all that kind of kvetching over over a bottle of chardonnay was not going to be our our path anymore 
that we really like, you know, when, when things go wrong, we'll give ourselves about a minute to go over it. And then right away, we're looking for, we're looking for the, we're making lemonade. We're looking for the bright side. We're looking for, okay, but what is it you really want? And that has been miraculous. What, what, what a powerful force that is in my life, my friendship with Nancy. You write several times about your tribe. And I've always believed that there's that saying about how you're the average of like the five people you spend the most time with. I'm a big believer that we have to guard what we consume, not just in food, but in what we watch, what we listen to, what we read. Can you talk about the process of cutting people and things out of your life and how necessary that is to a joyful life? Well, you and I are right on the same page. You know, in addition to becoming our own life managers, our own experts, our own gurus, we have to become the curators of our lives. Like who gets in, what kind of content gets in, what kind of information gets in, you know, we, we, we have to take that super seriously because everything is energy. We have to take that super seriously. So basically here's what I'm finding. What happens is when you commit to the life of your dreams, which for me, it looks like it, when you commit to radical self-care, when you commit to a, a, a spiritual practice of positivity and really just you're you're just looking for the rainbows looking for the rainbows and consequently drawing more rainbows every day right into your life the people who don't want to come along for that ride tend to eliminate themselves that's that's kind of what happens but on the other hand you know i was thinking i was just having this conversation with myself the other day that you know, I was for many years, I was a person who really struggled with the idea of boundaries. You know, yes, I knew I loved the idea of it, like, you know, because of what it feels like you can put up a big sign saying, keep out um, boundaries. And for, for those of us who are people pleasers or have trouble saying no without inventing a fanciful 45 minute excuse why, um, you know, we need some help with that. But what I realized is it may be that the word boundaries is just not our lingo. That boundaries feels um, like disconnecting. It feels mean. It feels isolating. Maybe that word isn't right. And maybe instead what, what I'm trying on for size is, is a different concept and different language where I try to make my decisions now through the lens of if I loved myself most, what decision would I make here? Mm. If I loved myself most, who would this person, would I be spending an afternoon with this person if I loved myself most? That's a wonderful way to kind of reframe it because I am someone who has no problem with boundaries, <laughs> no problem saying no. I teach a lot about boundaries and I am, you know, as big of a disappointment as I possibly can be to my family around the holidays because my husband and my three children and I will be going to California for two weeks over Thanksgiving instead of, you know, being at the table with with everyone who I only see once a year, you know, who I really don't have much of a connection with, we are choosing to go do this. And, and I, and they don't all, my parents are great with it because they're, they understand, but it's, you know, that's the way we want to spend that time off. Well, I totally applaud you. That that's the thing that's hard for a lot of people. And, and, but, but, but it wasn't hard for you because once you do it, don't you feel great? 
so yeah, you feel awesome and you just, you can't imagine any other way to live. So that's right. Can you tell us about the pillar life? Because the pillar life really came from the reckoning. I'd love to hear about it. Well, I, um, I was living in just on the East side of Los Angeles and in an area called Los Feliz and, um, Nancy, uh, w- when we decided we were going to throw in together and launch a company and podcast and we were going to, you know, figure it all out. She, she literally moved into my house with her dog, Percy into, um, one of the guest rooms and we would get up every morning and, and meet in, in outside. Cause it was LA, it was warm and, and we're from the Midwest. So it's like, woo you know, unless it's 40 degrees, we're going to enjoy the California sun. And we'd have our laptops and we'd start dreaming it up. And the pillar life came from those long uh, soulmate sister friend conversations where we created the eight areas of our lives that we cared about from health and wellness all the way to sanctuary and beauty. And we built a, a digital platform around it. And, um, um, we use it as a guidance system. Like, you know, now that I've figured it out that, that this recipe um, for my life and my happiness, I'm going to be tweaking all the time. I still need some, some guardrails on that path, or I can go unconscious for six months at a time. And I, I'll still be talking about, you know, I really need to get my meditation practice fired up again. So, so the pillar life really is about once a week, sitting down, kind of giving your your week some thought through the lens of these eight areas, kind of deciding how you're going to intersect with your pillars over the week, and then taking a look at how you how you do. And that has been a game changer for me. Yeah, as well as putting your boundaries up and and making decisions if you're living your best life. And it sounds like that's also part of what the pillar life is all about. In therapy, uh, the therapist asked last week, uh, asked me, where do you want to be in 20 years? And I said that I wanted our family to be this strong unit. And uh, he asked, how are you going to make that happen? And I realized that we will all have different programs, things that work for us. We're all going to have a different definition of success and we're all going to have a different idea or definition of what a joyful life is to us. And I love how your book gives this message that, hey, some things work. One of my top three favorite stories in the book is on page 198, uh, where you talk about how you, I'm just going to read this one part. You you go to a knife class, a knife skills class. Yes. And you say, um, ah, that's funny. <laughs> I showed up, met my fellow students, my fabulous teacher, Chef Gill, I was corrected many, many times with kindness and affection, but I kept at it. In the end, I was one of the least accomplished of all, yet I cared not one iota. I was happy when I walked in and supercharged as I packed up to go. In the teaching kitchen, I snapped a selfie so I'd remember the feeling. And then a little bit later, you put, adding to the mix was the fact that I had done what I said I was going to do. I'm celebrating over just that. Ten times that Saturday morning, I thought about canceling because there seemed to be more urgent things that I needed to do, but I didn't. Commitment can sound like such an unsexy word, but I think commitment can be such an incredible path, which is what I noticed in your story about taking cooking lessons and and Italian lessons. You didn't have the best dish and you spoke the worst Italian in the class, but you showed up and you left joyful. Right. Right. And that's why, that's why it's really important about making those decisions about commitments because, um, you know, if you, 
become a trustworthy steward of your own well-being, you will never number one, betray yourself, nor will you make a bunch of commitments or promises that you have no intention of keeping. So it's like, even with Italian class, I had to think about that. Like, you're going to go, you're going to go every Tuesday for a year. Mm -hmm. You're going to get in your car and drive to the Beverly Hills Language Institute every Tuesday for a year. And, and I said yes to that. And I said yes to that because, you know, I I don't want to be a person who's dragging around her bucket list with a hundred things on it, you know? And, 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 and at the time I was like, I'm in my fifties, I got to get to Kraken off the Mm -hmm. bucket list into the life list or take it off the bucket list. Right. Right. How does your physical location relate to your personal journey? Because you were in Chicago and then LA and now you've moved up north. I know. I know. So, you know, when I, when I moved full time to LA, I was, I was co-president of OWN and I had lived in the Hollywood Hills for a little bit and that was delicious. And then I got a fabulous house in, on the East side of LA and just really loved, um, on, uh, remodeling that and really getting it. And, and I, I really loved my life in LA for quite some time. It just wasn't a rooted life. So I just had a moment where I was like, well, you've created this life where you can live anywhere. Where do you want to live? And I had been coming to Napa Valley for, for 10 years. And so I said, I'm going there. I'm going to go there. And and it happened. And and of course, with all decisions that are kind of, um, you know, the heartbeat of a bigger dream. Next thing you know, I had the house, I bought the house, my house sold, packed up and, and moved. And I think the underlying craving, the underlying dream was I wanted to be in a smaller town, in a valley, still connected to big world-class, interesting things like the, the wine scene here. But um, there's a sweetness to life here where I, I can literally do 17 errands in about seven minutes. Right. That's wonderful. Are Nate and Jeremiah helping with this house? Oh, you know what? They, they're in New York and they're way too busy. But I, <laughs> I you know, it's like I, I've learned my lessons from Nate and Jer and I've, I just I, I take them and use them here. There you go. I had the honor of having lunch with them earlier this year, and they are just two of the kindest, warmest human beings <sighs> I've ever met. So when you wrote the chapter about them, I just I felt every bit of that. Well, you know, they just got picked as among the se- people's sexiest men alive. I do. And they were holding your book. I in know. Their book <laughs> That's so sweet, isn't it? That's so amazing. No, that's, just them. that's just them. They're just I know. so kind. They're and so good. They would use your book over just any book on the shelf no. because they love you. So I think that's incredible. Um, what's your favorite Chardonnay? Oh, too many to name. But I will tell you, one of my favorite wineries is Brown Estate in 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 Napa Valley. Brown Estate. I love their shard. And I love um, uh, my friend Elan makes Imprunte uh, Sav Blanc, which is yummy gadami. It's it's really good. And her Azure um rosé is really good. I mean, listen, as I, every time I get to know a vintner and I have their wine, I'm like, I want to be a member of your wine club because it's also (laughs) delicious. I love it. I love Napa. It's so beautiful. On page 12, you write, there is a sobering exercise 
that many great teachers do where uh, you visualize your walking through a graveyard and you see your tombstone and what your tombstone says. Right. Today, when you do that visualization, what epitaph do you see on your tombstone? Oh, that's so easy. Sherry Salata uh, continues to live the life of her dreams. Mm, So good. So good. Okay. So final question. I usually ask guests, <laughs> if you had Oprah money, what would you spend it on? And, uh, and it has to be completely selfish. And that seems like a really silly question to ask you. So tell me, what's something totally selfish and frivolous that you love to buy for yourself? Okay. With that with that kind of cash, um, I definitely would buy a private plane. Mm-hmm. And yes. that you know, I've I've sampled that many a time, and um, it's 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 really an amazing way to live, when you can go and anywhere, anytime with whoever you want. Um, that that is the ultimate freedom. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Um, so just to end, you had uh, written that once you've examined your unlived life, that you hold your hand the map to your dreams. And I just want to say thank you for making a dream of mine come true today. And um, that I hope that you continue to live the life of yours. This has been really incredible. Oh, Jessica, thank you so much. And I must tell you, and you know, since since the book launched, I have done, you know, many, many interviews, and I've been touring about, but your thoughtful consideration of every page is is so touching to me, that I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It really did. I'm gonna tear up. It really did. It spoke to me. It really, um, it meant a lot to me. And I just felt a, a connection with you through the whole thing. So oh my gosh, um, thank you so much. And you know what, we do have something, you know, we've, we, we've, we've walked through some fire together. So, um, and, and that I understand. And, uh, uh you know, I, I just can't tell you what it means to me. Really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And thank you. I know you're, I know that, uh, you're busy and you have a full life and, and everything. And I just appreciate, um, you taking the time to to do this with me. I really, really do. Anytime. My time with Sherry went by way too quickly. If you want to learn more about Sherry's story and the beautiful know that launched her into an amazing career and a wholehearted life, be sure to check out thepillarlife.com and pick up a copy of The Beautiful Know wherever books are sold. If you loved what you heard today, even if you liked it a lot, you should subscribe and leave a review. We'll see you back here next time in the Zimmerman Podcast.